You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. David Pepper is back. He is the former head of the Democratic Party of Ohio, and he's the author of books, including Laboratories of Autocracy. Um, I currently teach a course at DePaul University. I am using that book, and the students find it fascinating. Um, uh, and so if you haven't read it, find it, read it. It is uh, powerful and very clear about the challenges we face. Hello, David. Hey, how are you? I, I think I'm good. I But the news, it's just so hard. You know, we had a, a good week, sort of. I mean, uh, Tucker Carlson is off the stage. That is worth a bottle of champagne just for itself. Um, Joe Biden launched his campaign, I think, uh, very competently. Um, Fox releases a poll that shows the public doesn't like any of the policies of the Republican Party. Normally, that would be great. But in state after state, if we start paying attention where you've always told us we should look, the picture is very different. Yeah, uh, sadly, it is. It's exactly right. And, and I worry that I saw a few tweets. Oh, what a great week it was. And that is unless you're looking at these states. And I don't mean to be downer. I mean, I just think it means that we just got to pay attention at all levels of democracy. And for a lot of gains on one level, we're seeing real backtracking. You know, North Carolina yesterday, uh, this continuing saga in Ohio, you know, Florida, the other places. So, yeah, it's until we start seeing the full picture, I don't think we'll end up being as successful as we have to be. I mean, I, I, I don't want to pick on Ohio, but like the state's greatest export is legislative tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I hate to say it, though. It's a competition right now. And every week, you know, a few weeks ago is Tennessee. Then it's Ohio. Uh, North Carolina and Ohio both saw themselves have their Supreme Courts directly undermined for years. And just yesterday, that paid off big time for the right wingers in the North Carolina legislature. They'll both those states, just to be specific, both Ohio and North Carolina a few years ago had the same success that Wisconsin had in electing, you know, independent Supreme Courts. And for years, these legislatures just ignored them. They changed the rules of how they're elected and they're getting their way. So, yeah, it's really um, but Ohio is one of the worst. Uh, I wish I mean, it's terrible to say this as an Ohio. I wish Ohio were the only one. The problem is they're all doing it. They all learn from each other. And if they fail somehow, they all learn from that to do better next time. So it's sort of this, and that's why my book is Laboratories of Autocracy. It's not an exaggeration. They are functioning as sort of labs that they always are learning from. Yeah. I had a segment earlier on this show about Iowa with people there, and this last legislative session was as appalling as anything I've ever heard. And, you know, and the good people of Iowa don't really know what's going on in their legislature. Yeah, I mean, it really, at some point, like, I, 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 I'm not here just, just whining about it. it. We have to stop allowing it, and we allow it when we don't run for these offices. We have literally, like, in Tennessee, I'd give the example a couple weeks ago, about half of the Tennessee Republicans who voted to oust two of those three of the Tennessee three literally did not have an opponent last November. Uh, Democrats didn't contest tons of seats in, in so many of these states. So it, as much as we can be mad at what they're doing, 
once you don't even try and hold these people accountable, once you literally decide if a state is no longer a swing state for a federal election, we just stop trying altogether. What you are getting now is the inevitable result of one side kind of quitting on all these places and especially quitting below the federal level, but quitting because they aren't seen as relevant to the federal elections. It's, it is, so one side doing terrible things and the other side has basically decided for years we can't win those places so it's not worth trying and that's one of the reasons why it just keeps spiraling downward. Well, I think partly, David, um, um, y- you get some credit for this, but in the last couple of years, I think we're turning that corner. And, you know, after Donald Trump won, there was an enormous growth in civic engagement on the left in America, and it yeah. created organizations and, and, and like Swing Left and Run for Something mm-hmm. that are recruiting all over the country people to take these arguments everywhere. And I, I think you get some credit for that. Yeah, well, I, so the, the best thing about 22, and I'm thrilled that Fetterman won, the best thing about 22 was that we didn't allow one election denier to win a secretary of state office in the swing state. And the other was that we won the Michigan state house in the Pennsylvania state house and the Minnesota Senate, because those places that we have to start competing for and winning. So I do think as much as we're talking about some pretty negative developments, I actually think if we're smart about it, 24 is a huge opportunity well, not only because we're starting to see some successes, and we should model off those successes, just like the other side does. Like, how did we win Michigan and Pennsylvania? I mean, we can talk about that. I'm writing a new book about all that. But the other opportunity of 24 that we have not had in a long time is that the key to the Republican operation right now is that they know they represent a minority viewpoint. They know it. Mitch McConnell, this is why he's so careful telling Lindsey Graham, don't bring up a national abortion ban. The smart ones on the far right, they understand, actually, that their views are very unpopular. They do not want votes straight up and down elections that are referendum on their views. They would lose. But what's happened to them right now is between Marjorie Taylor Greene becoming the face of the GOP and a god-awful primary between Trump and DeSantis careening to the right, is their, their success in sort of hiding the ball of how extreme they are for years is over. And if we can turn 24, and Biden, as you said, he started that well with his presidential video kickoff. If we can take that contrast and that energy, but use it to not just win federal offices, but run it all the way down tickets in all these states, 24 could be a monumental year. If if all we do is use it to win a presidency and nothing else, then we're squandering it. To be honest, we kind of squandered in 20, Biden won. But we didn't win a single state house despite his big victory. We have to this time be smart enough, as you said, recruit everywhere, run everywhere, run against extremists everywhere, and take the energy of a presidential election and the contrast to the right wingers in both the House and that in the presidential primary on the Republican side and use it to drive all the way through tickets to victories at all levels. That's how twenty four becomes a historic win for democracy. And not sort of a half win at one level while you're losing at the state level where so much advantage is being done. Yeah, I mean, we. I think this last election is where we went. And maybe it was even the special in Wisconsin on that Supreme Court race where we moved from playing defense to offense. 
And now we have to finish the job. Totally. When, here's, the, here's the lesson. Like, when we decide, when the pro-democracy side decides, this is a battle for democracy race. This isn't just a, a race that we ignore. You know, sector state race in Arizona all of a sudden was given the importance that it deserved. That Wisconsin race, all of a sudden, American pro-democracy people, Democrats and others are saying, oh, wait a second. You mean this could impact? not just a few tort cases in, in Wisconsin, but democracy, we rally. Um, we have to think. And, and so the bill, you know, when people thought beating Mitch McConnell through the Amy McGrath campaign was important. She gets a hundred million bucks. What our goal, our challenge though, is to, is to start having a much more sophisticated conversation about what, what will, what does it take to win the battle for democracy? And it takes, that Wisconsin Supreme Court win. It takes state house wins. We just haven't told people that. And so we basically spend all our money on five or six Senate races. And we have left dozens of states with no support. And of course, with no support, far right, not only is moving in, but the extremists end up dominating the conversation when there's no one on the other side to balance them out. So, so I agree with you. That Wisconsin win, those, those sector state wins, they are perfect examples of when we, when somehow we communicate correctly. This is a race that is about democracy and about the future of, of not just a narrow issue, but much bigger. As important as the U.S. Senate race, all of a sudden people respond and we all of a sudden see wins. We got to just keep doing that. In twenty four is a huge year to do that. By the way, I see twenty four. We also have big races in twenty three. You know, the Virginia State House. Big opportunity mm-hmm. to take that back this November. That should be sort of the next the next set of races like Wisconsin that we all pay attention to and then roll yep. to 24. Yep. I think we're two cycles away from finishing ending this insurrection, but yep. So, so yep. you and I care passionately about the democracy and that's where we're focused to win this. We're going to take a, a coalition of people who, who the democracy isn't their biggest issue. There are plenty of people out there for whom reproductive choice is their biggest issue, for whom civil rights is their biggest issue, worker empowerment, gun safety, Correct. the environment. And it just turns out, because the right wing in America today is as bad as they are, that all of us are on the same side. Absolutely. It's, uh, all those issues, the reason... Almost every issue you just mentioned, I dare say all of them, the folks pushing for the side that you and I agree with on those issues are standing with the majority of the people of this country. And the reason they generally are not getting the success that we want on those issues is because democracy itself is so warped in all these places. And so that's why if, if if democracy was healthy, and, and if it was representative of the views of the people of this country, and in most states, you would have a pro-choice state almost everywhere. You would have common sense gun reforms almost everywhere. So it turns out that the stumbling block for every one of those causes is essentially democracy. Now, the, one, the, the, the lesson, though, from that is it doesn't mean, and this is, again, in this book and really laboratories, too, you don't run around campaigning just on the, the, the 30,000-foot high-minded views of democracy. Those pro-choice groups, those gun groups, they should really focus on the impact on their issue that lack of democracy is is rendering. And, and yeah, they are. The, yeah, and that's where you. So you know, I don't think you run a bunch of ads necessarily or often on democracy itself. You connect them 
to issues that are harming everyday people because democracy is so broken. And the best candidate, and, and, and I've mentioned this probably on your show before, what, what, why do we have a Democratic governor of Kansas? Because she made it about the failure of public schools from that state's nonstop attack on sort of the public good. In Kansas, yep. she's now governor. And, and Gretchen Whitmer made it about how they were not even supporting good roads because it was so broken in Michigan. So the lesson is democracy is under attack everywhere. But in your campaigns to defeat that, focus on the issues beyond democracy that, that everyday people actually are paying the price for that slow sort of or fast decline of democracy. And, and it looks different in different states. Um, yep. But but right now, maybe maybe more clearly than any other, this happened in Wisconsin. It's playing out, especially when women are seeing their rights attacked everywhere, and all of a sudden, the laws that that they're you know that that women had all over this country a year ago, the rights. I mean, they don't exist anymore. And that may be right now the most concrete example of how the attack on democracy is hampering rights in a majority of of Americans' strong support. Yeah, I, I think so too. We're going to see other examples. I my guess around the massive attack on public education. I mean, uh, they, what they've done in Arizona and other places, like sort of cr- massive corruption, as it did in Ohio years ago, and uh, following suit in other states. In fact, just they're going to make the same mistakes, and voters are going to say. As you've argued, look, just the outcomes of good government, the things you want, right? Clean, Correct. safe streets, good schools for your kids, you know, a shot at, at, at prosperity. All of these things require the kind of good government that you can't get if you don't hold your elected leaders accountable when yeah. you can't do that if you're so gerrymandered. It doesn't matter how you vote. Absolutely. I mean, that's. That's, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're seeing this sort of universal, no, limitless voucher program exploding all over. No one should ever be under the illusion this is driven by some good faith commitment to improving education. It's about money. It's about big companies making money out of formerly public school dollars. And it's driving down outcomes all over. But, but the, example, the example of the impact is if this keeps happening, rural schools – Rural disappear. Really start to pay the price. And I, I did a whiteboard on this the other day. It actually, to their credit, was Georgia Republicans from rural Georgia who killed uh, Kemp's voucher plan because they started to see. Wait a second. You you start crushing our schools in a small town. There's no other school. There's no other school. Yeah, there's nothing left either. That is the biggest right. presence of government. Right. That's the that's the those are some of the best jobs. That's the center of the community. And so you start to see again. And, and so if I were in a state like Georgia, looking at running in the future, even a gerrymandered district, I make it all about that school. I make it all. I yeah. I use the mascot even. You know, so-and-so is attacking the Eagles or the who. Like, who would ever do that in our community? There's opportunity, ultimately, from those downfalls of outcomes, that that they are really stepping on third rails at a certain point. And that's, again, why Laura Kelly is the governor of Kansas. Yep. So so in Iowa, I mean, so astounding, David. Not only they're moving on vouchers, but just because they're doing all this, they managed in this legislative session to change the rules so that the state auditor will be not empowered to audit yeah. the flow of money uh, from all of these months. When there's a when there is a threat to their power, and 
any any accountability that starts to arise, like an auditor, they just eliminate it. And, and, and you know, in Georgia, after Raffensperger wouldn't go along with Trump's election stealing plan, they the Republicans took away power from a Republican secretary of state. So these yeah. legislatures, gerrymandered, are so used to no accountability that they will attack any office and strip it of power, like they're doing in Iowa, that, that rises. And, you know, I hate to, not to doom Iowa to a terrible fate, but the, the key moment in the Ohio Charter School fiasco, and it's been a disaster, uh, FBI still investigating our public outcome. We, we were the fifth or sixth best-ranked school system in 2010. We're now in the mid-20s. There was a independent oversight of for-profit charter schools in the mid-aughts, you know, 2005. And that, that oversight literally warned these schools have massive risk. They, they really need to be looked at closely. And the current lieutenant governor, then the speaker, eliminated that oversight. He got rid of the body because no one liked it. It was criticizing their, you know, their big cash cow. And it's been a downward spiral ever since. So when you see them go after that Iowa auditor, Ohio's been through that. And it's been a horrific downfall ever since. And it's never stopped. And But getting rid of the oversight and the check and balance is sort of the first step of, of them getting that goal accomplished. Yeah. The goal of making life terrible for their citizens, I guess. But. It, it really, it's a goal of, it's a goal of someone making profits. I mean, I, re, I mean, and I, I wouldn't even said this so decisively 10 years ago, but when you see a massive policy push, push, so when you see a massive policy push that results in just consistent public failure, um, but it keeps going no matter what. And it's happening around the country. It's because of money. I mean, there's no other reason it would keep going. If their goal was sincerely to improve public outcomes, they would change direction the minute those outcomes were bad. But they yeah, don't. I mean, David, you're talking to an old Chicago alderman. Don't I know it? <laughs> yeah. Like, these, these, some, I, I did a little tweet earlier today about, about, about this issue. And people said, people tweet, well, how come they can't account for 40 years of failure? Like, they don't think of it as a failure. The public outcome is not how they're measuring the success. They're measuring it by the amount of money going from public to private, which ends up going to the for-profit school operators and a whole lot of politicians who made their lives good. And for, so for their standpoint, being the public outcome is somewhat irrelevant. They're doing just fine. They, it's a system that's working for them. And it just yeah, and going and going and going. Going and going. In Iowa, I'm told that but the reporter told me today that it, the governor – thinks this is her ticket to a cabinet post in a Republican administration, right? So, like, let people yeah. make this money. Doesn't matter what happens to Iowans. She's going to get a, a national uh, position because uh, because she's overseen this. Yeah. No, I, I mean, clearly this is this is <laughs> one of the big two or three things. And, and it, it it's an especially powerful one for Republicans because it aligns – an ideological push and money and the two together, you know, and guns is, does the same thing. Someone's making yep. a ton of money and it also happens to align with ideology and the one, two punch there. And, and that doesn't happen with every, sometimes people make a lot of money, but it, it's not like painting thing is this really popular thing. So they still do it, but it's not as 
blatant here. They combine it with this very aggressive, you know, propaganda about what they what they claim to be trying to do, and and it adds up to like something they really run with, and that's why you see it everywhere. You see it sold the same way, but at the end of the day, you know. We, we literally have an FBI scan, uh, investigation continue in Ohio because the biggest, what became the biggest, quote, high school in Ohio, tens of thousands of students, almost as big as Ohio State, turned out to be a complete scam. I mean, they were literally getting paid money for kids to log on to computers at home, and it turns out they were claiming kids doing so. It didn't even have numbers to back up the attendance. I mean, it was just a scam. But it was the, the, it was the central priority of the Republican state house for a decade ending in complete yeah. scandal. Meanwhile, so, our public schools fell from 5th to 26th. I, I, um, as you know, I am using your book to teach a course in a college here in, in, in Chicago. And I have had to take a break and reimagine things a little bit because at some point the students were so depressed about American democracy, um, because, you know, unlike you and me, they'd never seen the sausage made at all. And then this introduction to them opened their eyes so much, they were like, oh, my God, it's never been this bad. And I had to give them a lesson in American history where, you know what, things have been bad before. Um, Correct. And begin to tell them the things that are happening um, that are different now that, that give us a chance to fight back. Yeah, and, and what I say to students is, this is not meant to be so sobering, but welcome to America, where we've always had a fight for democracy. And when we when we assume that that fight was won in the '60s by John Lewis and Martin Luther King, and that now we're in this sort of magical world of just democracy forever, that's false. You know, I wouldn't want students to think that. Uh, we're in the fight that suffragists were in. We're in the fight that John Lewis was in. But let's be clear. Those those leaders and heroes started in a worse position than we are in now. We can we will lose the fight if we don't if we don't recognize it, which too many people don't. But we're as you said, people are starting to see it. And if we don't change how we do it or if we just quit and don't do it. But, but once you say, okay, we see it for what it is, we understand that we have not been fighting it appropriately, we've been letting too many states be just dominated by the one side, so of course you're going to lose. Yeah. Once you come to those conclusions, if you start fighting, I certainly think um, that it's still uh, something we can succeed in. But the, yeah, the one thing I would want students to realize, and maybe it's sobering to realize it, but it's also the reality, but we're in the same fight that everyone's always been in, which is about the strength of our democracy. Is it fully inclusive? Do we want it to be or not? Some people don't fight against it, and the rest of us need to say we we want to perfect it. We want everyone included. We want it fair for everybody. And that's, that's in the end, once you frame it that way, my hope is it's frankly a little inspiring that you can be the same hero that we've had throughout our country's history. Yeah, I, I tell them they're lucky to be alive right now. This is a this is a time that matters, and we've been through it before. And you know, this is the burden of adulthood in a democracy. Hey, um, I, I I know I gave you a bit of a hard time about Ohio's export around the country being you know sort of legislative tyranny, but in Illinois we have an export too, uh, in the name of. Uh, uh, particular family that runs a cardboard box company, yes. the U-Lines. 
And I understand, you know, they were the biggest funders of Ron Johnson's campaign. They kept literally the worst United States senator of all hundred of them in uh, in the Senate. And, and J.D. Vance hasn't had time to catch him yet. Um, but Ron Johnson, the worst. And uh, duh, now, um, you know, they've headed your way. Yeah, and, and I really wish they'd stay. By the way, when I when I tweeted about them, there was a debate about whether they'd be Illinois or Wisconsin, uh, but it sounds like they basically have real ties to both. But yeah, it's so Ohio, the business is in Wisconsin. They live in Illinois, right? But I have this. Um, we have this horrible thing going on right now, where it's going to happen elsewhere. It already is. So once a once a right wing under legislature that that's pushing really unpopular bills, the biggest one of the biggest threats like courts, like that Wisconsin court race, is the people themselves in states like Ohio, where we have an ability to, to amend the Constitution. And so the right wing is very concerned that when you have a state like Ohio locked in through gerrymandering, well, if the people have a constitutional amendment, then we may still not get what we want. And right now, out in Ohio, trying to push a change so that the constitutional amendment must get 60% of the vote, Versus 50%. And they're doing that because right now, like Kansas, we literally have a signatures being gathered for a constitutional amendment to protect choice. But there are other issues like minimum wage and other things. You can see some on gun reform. And so their big goal now is to make it a lot harder for the majority of Ohioans to actually have their will, will stretched. The majority of Ohioans, for example, clearly support Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to choose. So right now they're pushing a change. And the Ula, is it Uline, is that you pronounce it? Uline, um, yeah. Yeah, Uline, I mean, they are, it turns out just the other day that they've put a million dollars, almost every penny, into the effort to do this. And the irony is that the Republicans, as they always do, are projecting. They're saying we must change the Ohio Constitution to protect it from outside interests, when, as we just learned through this Uline million dollars, it's the outside interests doing it to protect their interests against the people of Ohio. That's that's how sick yeah. it is, and that's how her, like disturbing their projection is. That it's exactly it's what they are doing is exactly what they're somehow accusing uh, the people in Ohio who just want to be able to vote on constitutional amendments of doing. Every um, time they open their mouth, they're admitting their own crime and lying. Yeah, it's just every time, every time. Yeah. Now, my hope is, frankly, that the fact that this has already come out is helpful. That the fact that it's Clearly, this billion billionaire from Illinois money backing it, it really makes these Republicans look like complete, you know, dishonest people that that's what's driving it. And they want to create an, a, a new election in August, having just gotten rid of August elections because they're expensive and people don't show up. Yeah, they got rid of August elections, very low turnout. The secretary of state here, who's just a terrible guy, bragged about it. He said we've wa- he's wanted to do it for years. They get rid of August elections. But the problem for them is this effort to enshrine a woman's right to choose in our Constitution looks like it will be on a November election ballot. And so unless they push their 60% change, their 60% threshold change through by August, they, they will have lost. So they're literally changing the rule back after getting rid of August elections to allow an election for their own thing. So basically, someone said, you know, in Ohio, they're rigging the rules. I said, actually, 
they're rigging the rules to rig the rules. I mean, they're changing the way you have elections to change the way we change the Constitution. I mean, it's it, one of the things here is it's it sounds so absurd and so lawless is once you get away in these states with being lawless and they have here. Once you once you've already decided that the way you're going to stay in office, for example, is to gerrymander your district so you can't lose. Once you cross that once and it works and you have no accountability, you're going to keep doing it. And it's just like when Donald Trump gets away with one thing, you know, he gets let off for one impeachment. He keeps going. And that's what across this country and state houses. It's the same thing. They get away with one thing. They see it never impacts them negatively that they bent the rules or broke the law or did something just so, you know, counter the basic small-D Democratic principles, once that happens once or twice for them, they'll, that's their new mindset. And once they've done it long enough, they've got people, that's their, their entire career has been spent doing that. That's what they do. And that's yeah. something that at some point is so outrageous to people who just have a basic sense of right and wrong. For them, it's, it's business as usual. They, they, this is just how they operate. Uh, and, and the solution, again, is we have to be running hard against these people everywhere. We have to, we, we can't just support, this is going to sound strange, we can't just support the Tennessee Three, although we need to support them. We need to run after the people who voted against them. We need to have people knocking on doors, even if a lot of them will lose, saying, did you know the, there's an extremist living down the street? He voted against you on these things. He crushed your local schools and he's your state representative, the only way we start to pull this back is to add accountability back into places that just have not faced them for years, faced accountability for years. And you started off talking about, um, uh, what was it, um, you know, Tucker Carlson, about mm-hmm. Dominion, about even Disney suing DeSantis. That is the makings of accountability. That's why those were good news stories. I hope yep. this Disney suit is so painful for DeSantis. Good for Disney. They didn't just talk, they sued, which means discovery, which means emails and text messages. Hopefully it's like what happened with Tucker Carlson and Fox News. We have to, wherever we can, start to bring accountability that has just been lacking. And that lack of accountability is really why the wheels are going off in all these places. I, I'm betting this is the year for it, David. I'm betting that... Uh, Donald Trump gets held accountable. Uh, and I, you know, I expect once the Proud Boys verdict is done, and that could happen anytime, now that uh, we have the testimony from Mike Pence in, I expect there will be an, an yet another indictment, this time on uh, election tampering and insurrection. And I think he will be held accountable. It's slow. Um, and I think you guys in Ohio, I'm betting on you. I'm betting they will not be able to change the threshold for citizen. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the other level of accountability. People say, well, what are we going to do if it happens? And I think some of the smarter Republicans realize that the danger of them of doing this in August is the same danger as what happened on that abortion referendum in Kansas. Yeah. If, if August is a low turnout election and the, and the pro-choice majority sees it, there's a chance to trounce that thing. And here's my hope uh, for for many states, because this 60% threshold thing is going to come to any state where the people can actually weigh in themselves. And I think if it succeeds in Ohio, you're going to see it everywhere, using the same messaging and the U-lines will put their money everywhere. And my, my hope would be that if we crush it here 
And groups like the U-Lines look at the result and think, geez, I don't want to do that again. That was a disaster in Ohio. We got destroyed. You know, so there's an opportunity, as you said, to crush it. This exact thing was in Arkansas um, last November, 60%. Because once people, you know, politicians aren't good or Democrat or Republican, you name it, politicians are not really in good standing right now. It's hard to even be at 50% approval. So once you frame this thing as, oh, you know those crooked politicians from Columbus that have been named the most corrupt in the country, and one was just in, you know, sentenced as speaker to jail, they actually want to change the Constitution so they have more power and you, the people, have less? If that's understood, it's actually a really good argument to defend yeah. the thing. And, yeah. you know, that's, and, that's and it's about abortion. Right? I, I, yeah, I, and by the way, if you care about abortion, like violence, it will mean that you can't do anything about that. But it's also protecting a bunch of corrupt people. You know, you do that right and you win. I mean, you can crush that thing like happened in other states. And then all of a sudden we get the momentum. And at the very least, these laboratories of autocracy that are always learning from successes and failures decide from the Koch brothers and the U-lines on down, those things don't work. People are not going along with that stuff. We're better off just being a little more quiet about that effort and and just stick to our jury board legislature. So... And just like I think that hopefully the Wisconsin Supreme Court win, uh, the U lines I think weighed in big there. My my hope is that the case study of how we how we win these court races. Which if you look at North Carolina, Ohio, the difference between that Wisconsin win and North Carolina and Ohio losses is the difference in whether or not you have a chance of protecting democracy. So, and so my hope is that we're like you said that if we can crush that thing in August, if it happened, um, start building momentum, and then in Ohio at least. That might also mean a pro-choice referendum in November. Let's go win that thing, and that starts building yep. towards 24 when Sherrod Brown's on the ballot, and we have three more Supreme Court races in Ohio that year. I, like I said, I'm an optimist, and I think the uh, the bad guys overplayed their hand. Yeah. And, no, they're, they're, they've gotten very arrogant in some of these states, and yeah. and I think they are overplaying their hand. And by the way, this has happened before. We had a... Um, Kasich, a different variation of Kasich when he was governor, he was very conservative. He was like a Tea Party guy. And he was so high on how he had done. He won, he won, you know, I actually didn't win by that much the first time, but he came out of his first race and he was all hot on attacking collective bargaining. And he really went after public employee collective bargaining in, in the most aggressive way in the country, even more aggressive than Scott Walker. He, he included police and fire and, and he was attacked. It got absolutely destroyed. He overreached. He was too arrogant. He sold it poorly. He insulted Ohioans, workers, and it lost everywhere, almost every county, 60-40. And this sort of has the makings of that. I didn't mention this yet, but, you know, Kasich has come out against that 60% threshold. Good for him. Bob Taft, there's no bigger Republican name in Ohio than Taft. Former Governor Bob Taft said the other day, this 60%, and he was a former Secretary of State, so he had extra credibility there. He said, this 60% thing is just makes zero sense. Doing August makes zero sense. When you start to have big Republican names saying things like this don't make sense, that's when you have hopefully the makings of like you're, you're predicting a victory where people just say, this is just too much. This is not Ohio. Yep. Yep. So that's the hope. All right. Well, uh, I've overstayed your time and I apologize. I just looked at the clock. I'm sorry, David, but thank you. That's fine. It's always a pleasure to catch up. 
Well, I managed yeah. to get my kids out of the haircut, paid for it, dropped them off, and now I'm running here for my wife, all in our interviews. So, very productive. So, it was a successful day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Between sports right. games. Yeah, well, we will we will talk again. And, um, Thank you. Yep. I, and I keep it up the good work. Keep it up. Thanks. And I, I so appreciate you. You and I, I feel like we are still on the same page. I, I love lifting your stuff, and I appreciate you lifting mine when it makes sense. So I really yep. appreciate what you're doing up there. Take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye, David.